Good afternoon, Los Angeles and all of Southern California. I'm Farley Malaris, and you're listening to Astrological Metaphysical Radio, the phenomenon of the 80s, on KFOX 93.5 FM, your talk alternative. Is there anybody out there? <laughs> yes, here I am, back on the radio again. After a wonderful re- weekend, I almost said a wonderful weekend, really, and peace and solitude on the water, on the Pacific Ocean. I went out on the ocean to try to get charged, and whoa, seven, eight foot waves, major swells. These are times to try women's and men's souls, huh? All right, ah, a phone call from beyond. That must mean there's someone out there. Hello, friends and lovers and companions and members and supporters of the Astrology Hour, and welcome to another edition of Astrological Metaphysical Radio. And how are you today, huh? How you doing? Did you enjoy that transit over the weekend at Scorpio Moon? Wasn't that a classic? It was just a killer, wasn't it? Yeah, don't we just love that stuff? <laughs> well, I, you know, I feel better. I, I've had a long lunar return. Hey, even Mercury trying moon doesn't mean a thing. Mars is square my Venus for a long time. Called up all my old girlfriends. They've all got boyfriends already. I just check it up to see what they're, they're all attached. That's why I thought, isn't life wonderful? I'm such a good teacher that I teach women how to handle relationships better. And after me, they finally get married. <laughs> so it's Farley Mallory's conditioning school to getting married. Anyway, what's your karma? <laughs> hey, listen, I know I should be in the Bahamas today. Do you know I was scheduled to be in Australia or New Zealand? But no, I didn't want to do that, did I? So here I am on the radio and ready to be your no-forecast Monday host of the Astrology Hour. Well, aren't Mondays just incredible? You know what? If I was president, I would wipe Mondays off the map. Let's start the week with Tuesday, huh? Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Yeah, I'm in a goofy. It's a Sag moon. I'm in a goofy mood, and it's on my Jupiter, and thank God for miracles. But, uh yeah, I'm feeling better today. I'm feeling a lot better. I love the Sagittarius moon. And I hope you're having a good time. I got a letter from this nice lady, and she wanted to know why I said that Mars ruled the head, the eyes, the nose, the teeth, the ears, and she thought that Capricorn ruled the bones and the teeth. Well, it's true. Saturn and Capricorn do rule the bones and the teeth, but when we're talking about Aries and we're talking about Mars, we're also talking about everything from the neck up, which includes the mouth, the jaw, the teeth, the bones in the head, the skull, and all that stuff. So whereas Saturn and Capricorn does rule the entire skeletal structure, yes, Aries and Mars, the planet Mars, rules the entire head also, including the teeth, the bones, the skull, and all that stuff, the brain and (laughs) the hypothalamus, whatever's up there. Okay, yeah, welcome to the Astrology Hour. I'm Farley. This is KFOX 93.5 FM, your talk alternative, where we bring you Astrology Hour information weekdays at 12 noon. Well, today's topic is called What's Your Karma? So let's jump feet first into it. Because a lot of people out there don't know what their karma is. Well, old Uncle Farley's going to help you figure it out. Karma is something that I think is very interesting because in this dimension, we create needs. We create desires. We create situations that we think will fill us up or make us feel whole or make us belong. Did you ever have a feeling like you wanted to join a club or you wanted to join a sorority or fraternity? Or you ever have a feeling like, You wanted to belong to a family situation, a family of friends, a company, a nation. The feeling of belonging. It's like so many of us 
have this feeling of separation. It's funny that life on earth, and once again, being an illusion of separation, a truly an illusion of separation, is a real interesting fact because in reality, it's not true. We are not separate. See, on higher levels, we don't have to create anything or try to manifest anything because everything that we need is there. And we don't have to feel like we belong to any groups or that we're connected to any family environments because we are. <laughs> See, like we don't have to create these needs or these desires. Down here on Earth, in the Earth plane, we are under the illusion that we need to create things to bring us fulfillment in life. What I believe, what works for Farley, is self-fulfillment. In other words, sometimes I picture myself in a tropical island with plenty of food and water and plenty of shelter, right? And enough herbs and enough plants and flowers that I am aware of to help me stay healthy and protect myself. Also, I have lots of friends that are animals that live on the island with me. Kind of like a little Tarzan guy there. It's interesting that if you put a human being in an animal-type environment like that, when he is supplied with the basic needs of food and water and shelter and health care and a little association, it doesn't seem that we really need that much. It's like, especially if it was a man by himself or a woman by herself, actually being raised maybe from a child by the animals, right? Then this being would grow up and perhaps not be affected by some of the complicated needs especially that the world has created for us. We go way back in time, way back in history, and we are aware, at least I am, that mankind has created this illusion that mankind needs power. Mankind has created this illusion that mankind needs dominance and manipulation. Mankind needs control. Not all of mankind, but certain factions of society and of the world has created this situation where people are led to believe that one person should be dominated by or control another. Also, throughout these centuries and such, we notice many times that it appears that people that make more money and people that are wealthier and people that have more power seem to have more freedom. They seem to have more freedom. They've also created a lot more needs. They've also created a lot more desire. A lot of times we'll look at people, like if you've ever seen this show, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, right? You look at these people and you say to yourself, Look at this. They have these cars. They have this house. They have these beautiful women. It's like Hefner's Mansion, right? They have all these people around. They have the wherewithal where they make so much money. They have time where they can work out and look like a god or a goddess and keep their body fit, do the facials and do the surgeries, the plastic surgeries and all this. They can spend hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars to create this empire, this kingdom, this situation where it appears they're comfortable. But you got to remember that everything in this dimension is an illusion of separation an illusion of apartness, an illusion of uniqueness, where we actually feel alone unless we think, you know, by creating power and empire or finances or resources or love or marriage, that this is going to change things. As a therapist and as an astrologer, I find that sometimes the loneliest people in the world and the people that are the most depressed and most frustrated and the most subject to sometimes heart disease or even cancer are diseases that what I feel are diseases of the soul sometimes, beyond that, these are people that are very, very rich and very, very wealthy and very, very famous, and they have it all. They have the money, they have the power, they have the beautiful people in their lives, they have the appearance, they have the career, but it doesn't satisfy them. They're still not satisfied. Well, this, in my opinion, is what the definition of karma is. You must ask yourself, and either during the show or after the show, my advice to you is to sit down and make a heading called What I Want. Or what do I want? What do I want? And 
also, uh, maybe in a second section, put a line, what do I need? And then sit down, take a half hour or whatever, and make a list of what you want. Now, right off the bat, as I review some of my personal memories, I come to the conclusion, I decide that heading the list of what I want, aha, many times will be that woman, that dream girl, right? You know, of course, if you're a woman, then it'll be a dream guy. Or if you're a gay person, it'll be a dream man or woman, of course, if you're gay. But the thing is, is at the top of the list, sometimes you'll write down dream person, right? Or you'll even have a name. <laughs> yeah, Let's call this person Betty or Barb or Sandy or whatever. And you sit there and you'll go, this is somebody named Sandy, and this is what I want. Now, besides the fact that Sandy's married or she already has two boyfriends or she doesn't even know I exist, doesn't make any difference. This is what I want. Now, what else do I want? I want money. I want to be rich. I'm not saying this is what Farley Mallers wants. I'm being hypothetical with you. I'm just saying this is what some people want, money, okay? And what else do some people want? Some people want a big house, okay? Big house going along with money and a fun career, fun career with lots of responsibilities. And see, what else do I want? A boat, okay, a boat. Yeah, there you go. A farm, uh, horses. I want children, yeah, okay. You, you make a whole list, and you know, when you're finished with this list, <laughs> you know, after you put down what I want, then you go to the next column, what do I need? Food, all right. Water, all right. Health, okay. Exercise, shelter, and job, and friends, and companionship. Isn't it funny? In the what I want column, sometimes you could notice when you're done, of course, you have to be tricky about this, right? But you might notice when you're done that you'll be in a situation where all of a sudden you'll realize that the things you've made under the what I want column can almost be termed obsessions are things that are actually, instead of what you need, these are things that you'd have to work hard for, and then once you have them, having them might not be what you thought, it might not be as easy or as fun as you thought they would be. For example, this dream girl that you want. In fact, let's say you want someone that you can't have. It's just not perfect for you. It's not the kind of relationship you want, but you happen to like her body, or her face, or her hair, or his body, or his face, or his mind, and you want this person, and you're saying to yourself, well, in the what I need column, then I could say what I need would be some friends. So this dream person might fit under that category. But ah, under what you want column, this person is actually an object of your desire and may even be an obsession. Same thing with money. You know, before in the what I need column, we have the basics, food, water, health, exercise, shelter, job, friends, companions. But under the what I want column, it's abundance. And the big home, of course, is a company's big responsibility. The fun career with lots of money also involves a lot of work, a lot of pressure. The boat needs a lot of maintenance and finance also. That farm, the same. Ask any farmer how easy it is to keep a farm up, right? And the children, oh, they're real easy to deal with, right? And ask any mother or father, any parent, how easy it is to raise children. Well, you know what we end up when we do this search, we do this study? We start to identify karma. Now, in your astrology chart, of course, if you can zero in on the planet Saturn, which we have talked about numerous times, identifying the planet Saturn in a sign and in a house will definitely identify your major life's karma. And my Saturn in Leo, in the 11th house, my major life's karma has been balance concerning family, which is Leo, concerning children, and I coach kids in football for 12, 13 years. That's also Leo. Concerning friends, because it's in the 11th house of friends, and also concerning goals which is the 11th house also. So that's my major life's karma from Saturn in the 11th, Saturn. 
And if you listen to my show last week, Astrology is Language, and you learn your correlations, then you'll get down what the planet Saturn means. Or you can buy The Complete Astrologer by Julia Parker and Derek Parker, and that will also explain to you what your Saturn is or what any planet is. But at the same time, you can look at any aspect in your chart, specifically squares and oppositions, and you can zero in on all types of karmic obsessions. And what is karma? Karma happens when we create a negative vibration in this universe. And oftentimes, a negative vibration is created because of fear, because of worry, because of anxiety, and oftentimes attached to those things that we want, but either, number one, we can't have them, or if we do get them, if we do receive them, they're not what we thought they would be when we got them, and they're much more difficult to deal with. See, like, when it comes to needs, give us this day our daily bread. You know, most people, if they have the wherewithal, can at least find a meal somehow. And the water is abundant. As far as health goes, that's a matter of taking care of yourself, and exercise goes with that too. Shelter can also be obtained, as long as you're not a totally lost soul. Most people should be able to obtain shelter, and most people should be able to obtain some kind of work. And the friends and the companions have a lot to do with your own disposition and charisma and visualization process. But the interesting thing about life is that I find that when the pain syndrome strikes, it usually strikes because there's something outside of myself that I want, and I really can't have it. You know that? It's either a person or a career. It's like right now I'm looking at things in my life, and I'm being teased by a possible career in show business on television, right? And I'm also being teased by certain relationship situations, and I'm being teased by certain financial situations, and I'm being teased by this and by that, and possible children, and all these things, you know, they crop up. And you sit there and you say to yourself, wow, look at all these things I've thought I've wanted my whole life. The thing is, is that if they were that easy, if it was that easy, then there wouldn't be pain attached to it. <laughs> Do you know, when you chase somebody, when you love somebody so much, and you chase them and chase them and chase them and chase them and chase, and finally you get them, it should be a sign, in my view, right, that if it hurts along the way, it should be a sign that it's going to hurt that much more once you capture them. Because that's what you call a karmic experience. Usually, from what I can understand and analyze from the human soul, if you are going after something or somebody or some situation that appears to be grandeur or something that you thought you always wanted, that you think is really going to satisfy you, and it's painful on the way down the road to try and get this thing, then you got to identify that as a karma from within yourself. In other words, this is an energy that you are seeking out for a just purpose so you can recognize the energy, identify the energy, experience the energy, and work it out, process it out, and absolve it. And that's what we do. We chase after our karma. Then once we catch it, once we get the woman or the man, once we get the marriage-type situation with the kids in the home, notice so many people in their midlife crises and Saturn returns, what do they do? They run away. They say, I'm out of here. I'm divorced. I'm leaving you and the kids. I'm leaving the house. You can have it all. I'm quitting my job. It's like all these things you live for all your life, you think you want. And then finally, when you start to get just a tad spiritual, you notice that these really aren't the things you need. <laughs> these are just karmic obsessions that you had in your life. And you finally got them. You finally manifested them. And then once you got it, you're in trouble. You're in hot water. It's like, oh, God, how did I get myself in this situation? Well, it's the same old thing. I believe that you got to be careful what you want. you got to recognize that what you do need are things that are going to be there for you. You know, what your soul can subsist on and get along with are going to be there for you. 
But when you have a desire, when you have a hunger, when you have a craving for something or somebody, even if it's a chocolate ice cream cone or a beautiful man or a beautiful woman or the sex, the lust, that's karmic. That's what we call karma. The question today, the topic is, what's your karma? And a lot of times the answer to that question is, your karma is usually what you want. And look out whether you get it or when you do get it, because that's when the karmic retribution or the karmic flashback or what the effect of karma is, the return of a sent out energy from this life or a past life comes back and it doesn't, if ever, feel good. It usually is painful. A lot of times the blind is lifted, the shade is lifted, the veil is lifted, the clarity strikes, and it's like you say to yourself, I was chasing after this all my life? And that's when you say to yourself, well, I'm better than this. I'm going to let go of this thing, say goodbye to it before it gets hold of me. And then that's when you get growth. That's when the soul growth comes in, when you absolve that which you think you want, that which you think you need. So a lot of times you have to look at your life and say to yourself, is this what I really want? On this list that I wrote down, what do I want? Do I really want these things? Or is these things really karmic, like Farley says, things that are meant to be absolved in meditation and in maybe the dream state, are in your own logical brain, in your own intellectual mind, are these things that you can just absolve? Okay, well, maybe I don't want Sandy then. Okay, Sandy, you're involved with somebody. Goodbye. Okay, I don't need the riches. I have enough money. I'm comfortable. Goodbye. I'm comfortable in my apartment. What do I need a big home and all that responsibility for? It might be a mudslide or something. Goodbye. And the career, I'm happy with my career. I'm not going to try to worry about anything else. If something else comes along, I'll consider it. And what about the boat? Well, a small boat will do. And what about the farm? Well, I never really wanted that anyway. And what about the kids? If I have children, I have children. I'm not going to worry about it. Boom. Karma absolved. Not that easy. It's not always that easy. The case isn't always closed that quickly. But it helps to be aware that sometimes what you want, that magnetic thing that you are pulled towards, is typically what your karma is all about, especially people. And a lot of us make the mistake of thinking that people that we want that badly are soulmates. Ha! (laughs) Not always the case. You know, this issue karma is interesting because a lot of times we just forget about it. (laughs) And we just go ahead and let our human instincts get to us and we start feeling alone again and separate and and insecure. And in, in our solitude, we get depressed. Because once again, we try to seek that which is outside of us to help fortify and fulfill what we think we need. Once again, I reiterate what I feel a person really does need is right inside you. It's all there. The whole universe is right inside of your heart. And if you think any different than that, then maybe that's your karma. (laughs) The fact that you're stuck in your own limitations. But in truth, I find that, that in solitude and through retrospect, we sit down and if we can meditate and we can relax, and we can dream, we can visualize, we can create things, basics that can be a lot of fun. A lot of times you have to be careful what you're chasing after or what you asked for, because so many times when you do get it, it does become your karma. And it is difficult sometimes once you do have that to get rid of it. (laughs) Once you do create something in your life and it is part of you, if it does hurt, it is so hard to get out of that situation sometimes. That's when we find a lot of people freaking out. So maybe you might want to make that list up for yourself and ask yourself that question. What's your karma? Let's go to Nita now and to the phones on line number one. And thank you for being so patient, Nita. Yeah, great topic, Farley. Oh, thank you for calling. For a second there, you were the only one on the phone. <laughs> I knew that. That's why I called. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, I always listen to you when I can because sometimes I work. Oh, okay. In the afternoon. Are you related to Helen? I'm just kidding. <laughs> what can we do for you? I do have a friend named Helen. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so what's your question today? I don't remember if I read this or heard this, but... um. Uh, somebody said that 
if you meditate for like um, one hour or two hours a day, that you get so mellowed out. If somebody starts controlling you, you will follow them or something. Is that true or no? Well, I personally think that unless you're extremely advanced, that mm -hmm. that two hours of meditation is too much. No, I'm, no, I'm just I just heard that. I don't. Oh, you heard that? Too, okay. A little bit. I think the healthiest uh, method of meditation would be just 40 minutes total, 20 minutes in the morning before you eat breakfast, and 20 minutes in the evening before you eat dinner. Mm -hmm. I think more than that might not be healthy, in my opinion. You know, more than 40 minutes is too much. It might space you out too much. It might confuse you, in fact, I think. Yeah. I don't know for a fact that, that people could control you or manipulate you under any circumstance unless you let them. Yeah, I mean, so I don't see how meditation can be attached to that, to answer your question. Yeah, not just an hour or two. I mean, if you meditate, they said... Oh, if you meditate, period? Oh, I don't believe that. I meditate, and I don't think anyone can control me. <laughs> okay, thank you, Nita. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Hi, Mary. Hi, Farley. How are you? Fine, how are you doing? Well, I'm having a Mars square Venus exact. My chart ruler's lit up in my ninth house, but I, I'm smiling, so what the heck? <laughs> you sound great. sound really happy. Thank you. Thanks for making me really happy, too. I really do that. Yeah, you really do. You mean I help Mary make herself happy? That's right. You help me be special. Okay, you're a winner. Uh -huh. What can we do for you? Well, I just want to let everybody know I'm an FRS, a Farley's Radio <laughs> student. <laughs> Somebody said they're an FGS. I forgot what that meant, though. <laughs> and my general question is, on the wheel, from the ascendant to the descendant, mm -hmm. when the planets are all from one to, for instance, six, what karma would that signify or be? Well, okay. Usually when we have all the planets below the horizon, down below, yeah. then most of the karma is with the self. Oh. And a lot of times we show... Is that the way your chart is? It's my daughter. Mm -hmm. A lot of times we don't show as much involvement with people. People that have contact with the world and serve to be more of teachers and professionals and public servants and such yeah. have a lot of planets above the horizon in the top six houses. The bottom six house people oftentimes spend their life on self-realization, self-development, self-growth. It doesn't mean they're not spiritual. On the contrary, in fact, they could be even more spiritual than the upper half people because the upper half people may be too obsessed with the world. I would say maybe more in tune to themselves and non-materialistic. Exactly, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of times we do find that sometimes it takes people with lower half charts longer to mature in the perspective of certain people on this planet, right? right? But in my perspective, the people in the lower half are more fun, too. They're more childlike in many ways. Okay. Okay? This is like you. Yeah, well, I have... I love your childness quality on the radio. It's great. You make <laughs> me laugh all the time. I have two uh, planets that are below the horizon, Moon and Jupiter, so I constantly go back and forth to being a big baby to a grown man. Yeah, I'm like your father, and then a little baby puppy, you know, baby. So. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Let's go over here. To Eric on line four. Hey, Eric. Howdy, Farley. Eric the Alibit. <laughs> you remember that? Oh, yeah. That's from Monty Python, I think. Yeah, yeah. How did that one go? Oh, uh, I got a pet fish named Eric. He's an Alibit. <laughs> <laughs> I used to say that over and over again. It's Eric the Alibit. <laughs> okay, what can we do for you, guy? General question here. Do you think that your mother's karma at the time of your birth has an effect on your personality and your karma. Yes, I definitely do. In fact, I actually feel that there's a direct tie there. There's a direct bonding or connection from the mother's karma that goes to the baby, right, especially at birth, 
lot of times you can find that in the natal chart by analyzing the moon. Like I kind of think, because I was born with four squares on a Scorpio moon, that my mother was probably going through a pretty stressed out time that day. Mm-hmm. And because she does have some Aquarius and Leo planets in her chart that were lit the time of my birth. And a lot of times you will feel the tension and also the bliss that a person will experience at birth. That's what my experience is. Right. Now, I don't know, how's your moon aspected? I've got a Capricorn moon, and I'm not sure how it's aspected according to her chart at this time. Was she working before you were born? Yeah. So she didn't even leave the post. She was pregnant. So do you have this major work ethic in your life, too? In a way, yeah. Uh Uh-huh, that you could have inherited that from her before you were born, too. Yeah, that's very possible. All right. Thanks, Eric the Alibit. Bye-bye. Thank you. Let's go to Mary on line seven. Hi, Mary. Hi, Farley. How you doing? Well, not too good. I just got back from the mountains, and I see all the obsessive behavior I have to come back to. <laughs> Isn't that funny? That's what's sad about taking a vacation. It's so much fun when you're gone, but when you come back, it's like jumping back in the pit again. It's like we get a vacation from hell for a little while, and we come back. Why do I live here, you know? <laughs> it's like, I'm moving to the mountains. You know? Right. Run away from your karma, right? They go, hey, Mary, now that you've done everything in the city, what are you going to do now? I'm going to the mountains, you know? <laughs> and be a monk. Really? Exactly. A monk, or even better, a monkey. (laughs) But anyway, with the karma that seems to be happening in this city, what does midlife crisis relate to karma? Is it a particular time when you have to deal with lessons? Well, you see, the heaviest part of the midlife transit is that by the time we turn 40, we will have gathered all of these dreams and all of these things that we think we want, see? So what happens is, if you don't learn the lesson at 30 in the Saturn return, see, by 30, you're really frustrated. A lot of people are so frustrated, they're sitting there going, God, I don't have what I need yet, so i got to create what I want by the time I'm 40. So you create this little empire, most of us, till we're 40, and then once you turn 40, you turn around and go, look at this mess. I've, you know, I've created all this responsibility and these bills. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, Mary, I've got my overhead to keep the show on the air and everything going. It's incredible. It's like almost 100000 a year. Yeah. And if somebody would have told me in 1978, Farley, you're going to need 100000 a year to survive, I would have went, oh, no way. You know, I, there's no way. But the thing is, is that that's what happens. You create this big mess with all these bills attached to it. Then you turn 40 and you say to yourself, well, I think I, maybe that's not exactly what I wanted, you know. Yeah, and I just got a few wrinkles for it all. Oh, sometimes more than a few, you know. (laughs) So I think part of the midlife transit is the major key here is being spiritual and respecting your body as temple, meaning nurturing it, pampering it, maintaining it, removing all the stress and removing all the poison and toxin. But that's hard to do in the city. Well, it is hard to do in the city, but but a lot of times when you have the midlife transit, if you don't maintain your health, then that's when a health problem starts. Oh. See? So part of the transit can be a health debilitation. It can be a financial crisis, an emotional crisis, a mental crisis, and a a social crisis, too. Well, I'm going through it all. Yeah. Well, how old are you? 34. Yeah. Oh, you're not even there yet. Oh, you're kidding. No, it doesn't start till you're 38. Uh Oh, I guess I'm getting prepared. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Yeah, let's go over here now, and let's try uh, Steve on line five. Hi, Steven. Hi, how you doing? Real good. Went to my ex early just so I could talk to you. Really? Yep. God bless you, Steve. It's a joy to talk to you. <laughs> okay, I'm, my question, I'm going to try to relate my question to your topic. Okay, I know Jupiter is your creating planet, right? Jupiter is your expanding planet. Okay, expanding planet. And Saturn is sort of like your, like you said, karma or taking away planet. Contracting planet. Contracting. What happens, let's say, if someone has, like, an opposition, a sextile, or a trine? Can you explain those three? Between Jupiter and Saturn? Saturn, yes. Well, a lot of times it's the philosophy 
Catch-22. You're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. A lot of times Jupiter-Saturn conjunction, Jupiter-Saturn opposition, Jupiter-Saturn trine, which is what I have, Uh Jupiter-Saturn square, Jupiter-Saturn in conjunct, a lot of times drops things on us. Uh It's like you're walking down the street and then someone drops a treasure chest that almost kills you, but no one's around to claim it. So you think, well, instead of reporting this, I think I'll take these 5,000 gold coins. Then before you know it, you're in the karmic whirlpool because you've created a business with a bunch of debts and bills with that money, and you've created a relationship with a person that thought loved you and now is taking advantage of you because of the money. So what happens is it's like it's a wolf in sheep's clothing thing. Uh When Jupiter and Saturn are an aspect, oftentimes we are given something, but it usually a test is attached to it. So what it means basically is the expansion is there, but the contraction follows. Uh It's like Jupiter gives and Saturn takes. So it's give-take. What about a sextile? A sextile is not as intense as the other ones, but it's still in effect. You are still given something and usually tested with it. Uh-huh. See, like if there's a square opposition or conjunction or inconjunct, then the lesson's a lot stronger. Uh-huh. If it's a trine or sextile, it's not usually as intense. It's a little bit more easier to bail out without having too much hurt. Okay. Okay, guy. Okay, thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Bye. Let's go to Mickey now on line one. Yo, Mick. Hi. How are you, Farley? Fine. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. All right. Okay, I've got a question that's always, you know, the moon goes void course. Right. How would that affect the chart of a child? You mean... If they were born during that void course moon. A lot of astrologers believe that a void course moon, which is also called an unaspected moon, is a tremendous emotional karma. No matter what sign the moon is in, it's like there's some love lost during the childhood, during the early years, during the upbringing. And emotionally, the child seems unstentered, sometimes unstable. Mm-hmm. Okay? Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Not always, though, because I think the powers of the universe can overcome anything, right? Virginia, on line two. Hi. Hi, Father. How are you today? Excellent. I'm enjoying your show. Thank you. I wanted to ask you about something that would be in the chart that would kind of be karmically a teacher, like a person who was a, a teacher or a listener, but it was karmic. Okay. Any sense? Yeah, somebody that's like destined to be a teacher. Yeah. New age or what? People. New age or whatever, right? Yeah. The third house is important. Planets in the third house are like natural teaching. A lot of our elementary school teachers and high school teachers, even college teachers, have either third house planets or Gemini because they like to talk and they like to exchange information. So it's natural for them to want to teach and exchange. I've sat in my third house. Okay, then that is a real obvious aspect. <laughs> and also ninth house planets, like I have Venus and Uranus in the ninth. We do find ninth house planets and or Sagittarius planets are wonderful for teaching because we start getting deeper, more philosophical. Instead of an exchange of information, we're also into a review, into purpose, into worth, mm-hmm. into extension and expansion and resolution and absolution of matters. More than just exchanging information, we question it. And we opened our mind to further information. Thank you so much. Wait a second. So the people with ninth house planets or Sagittarius planets also are those that would be more open-minded to information, often less verbal, and when they have something to say, it is usually worth more. Okay? Okay, you completely hit my chart. Okay. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Let's go to line four and talk to Mercury. Hi, Mercury. Hi, Farley. This is Venus. Come in, please. I love you, and I can see you on television. I want you to know that. You can see me? Absolutely. Are you psychic? Um, No, but I'm in show business, too, and I can just see you there. Am I on every day? Well, you're on my mind. I'm <laughs> dying to see what you look like. But what, anyway. What do you do in show business? I'm an actress. Don't you remember me, the Mars and Leo? Oh, you're right. Okay, okay. 
But my question was,、um, I understand the karma and the chart and the natal chart, and I understand destiny. But how does free will determine your destiny? And how can you, you know what I mean? I have a question between destiny and free will. Well, what, what happens? Okay, what happens is is that situations are destined to crop up in our lives. In other、uh-huh. words, we kind of pre-manifest things to happen before birth, so we are able to make a choice、mm. karmically. So destiny plays a role because we're destined to be with a certain person, like at a bar. But it's up to us whether we go home with them or not. You know what I mean? Oh. See, so a lot of times the stage is set, the destiny of the stage is set. But at the same time, it doesn't always mean we have to play the role. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Mercury. Thank you. Okay, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Astrological Metaphysical Radio. I love you all. Have a great day. Life's too short to take personal, so they say. It rhymes, don't you know it? <laughs> I gotta go. Okay. Take care of yourself. And those of you with Sagittarius moons, you're having a lunar return today, so keep it mellow. <laughs> See you later. Bye, everybody.